Hello everyone, how are you doing? I'm boiling slowly. <laughs> Sorry I skipped the last episode, I know how much you missed the weather updates from Serbia. So let me just start complaining from the very beginning. Um, currently, uh, it's we're in a heat wave, major heat wave. It will last up to um, August 9th, I believe. I read somewhere. If I don't go crazy, like, I cannot. It's horrible. And I don't have AC. And it goes, the temperatures go over 100 Fahrenheit. And it's n no, no thanks, Mother Nature. So if you hear, like, a background static noise or if for whatever reason my um, microphone gets kind of like muffled or whatever that's because I'm trying to turn off the background noise so really sorry about that my audio probably will suck in this episode okay how are you doing welcome to the freaked out a true crime podcast with sprinkles of everything else I'm your host Fabian Adams and welcome take a seat this will be one long episode so last week I skipped episode because it was kind of like cooler weather and I was like laying all day doing nothing just enjoying my life and the ability I can breathe finally <laughs> and I totally forgot <laughs> that I need to do an episode and Saturday came and I was like what the fuck I also contemplated about skipping this week's episode because it's so fucking hot and I don't don't like um, that my fan has to be working all the time and creating the background background noise. But here we are. I have so many things to tell you. First of all, today, August first, when you're listening to this episode, my Patreon page finally launches. And let me tell you what you get if you decide to support my podcast by subscribing to my patreon for only five dollars a week oh, oh, oh my god only five dollars a month um, you will get digitally signed episode scripts like I signed all of my scripts except Bible John because I cannot find the script for Bible John I deleted that but in the future if I find it I'll post it or I will um, actually write another script if someone is interested in that but you're getting digitally signed episode scripts like raw scripts or I should say notes but it's not note because I have actually to write word by word to not sounding like a broken record with um so um <laughs> So yeah, I have like literal literal scripts of the episodes, so I sign them so you can download them, print them, do whatever you want with them. But please do not share anything online you find on my Patreon, because that's the point of Patreon. First of all, and second of all, I don't want other people to steal my shit, you know, word by word. Let them at least transcript my episode if they want to steal stuff so that's the first thing you're getting the second we, uh, thing you're getting is the early access to the new episodes and that's day before so on Saturday you will have the full access to a new episode then the next thing you'll getting will be the thank you mention in the episode so your name will be mentioned in the episode 
and but I will publicly thank you <laughs> and your name will be mentioned in the episode then the next thing you will get the access to the future episode ideas list so I have um, planned my podcast ideas up to episode 20 and you'll you will have direct access to the whole list and you will know in which direction this podcast will go and you will get instant addition to the close friends list on the podcast instagram account for behind the scenes day-to-day content and if you don't have instagram we'll we'll try to compensate somehow i'll i don't know i'll follow you on twitter or we'll see but that's what you get for now but for now there will be more stuff coming for example bonus episodes like not related to true crime i'm planning to do an episode on my grandma's haunted house like all the details about the ghosts in my house and um i'm planning to do and maybe some episodes about music since i told you i'm a musician and my throat got stuck when i said that (laughs) so maybe music related episodes we'll see we'll see but for now you'll get those stuff someone suggested when i asked what to post on instagram someone suggested like ad free episodes and i'm like but my episodes are ad free right now (laughs) this shit is not even monetized because i'm on anchor and over there you cannot monetize your um podcast because if you are outside of the united states as you may know i'm from serbia and also i'm not losing anything because I started this as a hobby for to start with and I wanted some free plan I didn't want to pay for my podcast to be hosted somewhere because I didn't know if 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 it's worth it you know if some if anyone will listen but when I get 100 uh, people listening that's that's kind of like the low bar for me when I get 100 people engaged in listening I will probably transfer to some other platform where I could monetize my um, my podcasts. Or maybe by the time I get 100 listeners, Anchor will maybe allow other people from other, other countries to monetize their podcasts. But for now, this podcast is completely free. I'm doing this completely free, you guys. <laughs> so it would mean a lot, like I mean a lot if you would choose to support me on Patreon for the price of one Starbucks drink, for example. Okay, enough. This episode is already long and the story is massive. Do I have something? Oh my god! I to- Oh my god, I totally forgot the main thing I wanted to mention. Like, my favorite, favorite podcast of all time and that's why we drink followed me on twitter like what the fuck what the fuck happened like what all i did was i retweeted their tweet where they asked for people to vote for them for the people choice awards and they followed me so my um, podcast account is now followed by and that's why we drink podcast (laughs) i have no words vomitous vomitous okay so today's story we are talking about the it's not actually a single crime case but we are talking about 
the Norway and uh, 227. Do you know anything about 227 or July 22nd, 2011 in Norway? The terroristic attack, or I prefer to call it massacre in Norway. Actually, so it was uh, this happened on the 22nd uh, July 2011 and few days ago was the 10th anniversary and I completely forgot about this case and I know it was all over the news in 20 in um, 2011 and I totally forgot about this case I had planned a different story for today I just I just needed to cover this story because when I started I I could not stop and I have so much things to say. So let's just let's just start. Let's give me my iced coffee. Can you hear that? Oh my god, I I, I adore this coffee. Okay, let's start. On November twenty second, two thousand and eleven, exactly at two p.m., all the news, television, government, and other important people in Norway got an email. The email was from the person called. Andrew Bervik, and it contained one document. When they opened the document, they realized it was a compendium of texts, 1600 pages long. 1600 pages long manifesto entitled 2083, a European Declaration of Independence. In this quote-unquote manifesto, this person was describing his militant ideology, he stated his opposition to Islam, and blamed feminism for a European quote-unquote cultural suicide. The text called for the deportation of all Muslims from Europe. Nobody knew that hour and a half after they received this bullshit, the Norway was uh, about to survive like the worst massacre slash terroristic attack in their history. So, let's talk about who this person was. Who was Andrew Bervik? Well, actually nobody, because that's the English version of his name, and he used that English version of his name in his quote-unquote manifesto. On the other hand, Andreas Breivik is a Norwegian man born on February 13th. Oh no, he's Aquarius. No! He's Aquarius. I'm Aquarius. No! <laughs> Why this, this motherfucker has to be Aquarius? Okay, he was born on February 13th, 1979, in Oslo, Norway. Oslo? Oslo? Oslo. We say Oslo in Serbian, so... Why am I trying to Americanize things? Oslo, Norway. His mother was a nurse and his dad was a civil economist who worked as a diplomat for the Norwegian embassy in London and later in Paris. After his birth, his family moved to London and there he lived until he was one year old and that's when his parents um, divorced and he returned to Oslo with his mother. He didn't have really bright childhood. Psychologist in one of the reports made a note of the boy's peculiar smile suggesting it was not anchored in his emotions but was a rather a deliberate response to the environment." End quote. <clears throat> Sorry, a lot of these things I actually copy-pasted from Wikipedia because it was so brilliantly written, I could not, like, translate to my words, you know? My audacity stopped working. I swear to God, if I have to record anything from this episode again, I'm gonna scream. 
<laughs> like it's not even funny anymore. Let me just unzoom. I heard if your audacity is bag bugging, you have to unzoom the recording. Okay, we'll see about that. So, <clears throat> where was I? Yeah, I stole shit from Wikipedia. In another report by psychologist from Norway, there were some concerns about how his mother treated him. They quoted, she sexualized the young Breivik, hit him and frequently told him that she wished he was dead. And very nice mom. In the report, his mom is described as a woman with an extremely difficult upbringing, borderline personality disorder and person with depression, partially visible depression, who projects her primitive aggressive and sexual fantasies onto her child. And then in 1983, and 1984, at the Clinic National Center for Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, psychiatrist and one psychologist wanted Breivik forcefully removed from his mother, and then the clinic has placed a care order for the boy, but this was not carried out by the Civil Welfare Service, for unknown reasons. Um, so now I have a story about his mother, and I it's pretty lengthy, so if you don't want to listen about his mother that has nothing to do um, with the um, terroristic attack he uh, later did, you can skip about 5 to 10 minutes. Um, I asked you on Twitter if you want to for me to include this story, because it's not directly uh, connected with the story, but it's connected to him, and it will kinda make some look inside his life, and all of you said yes, include. <laughs> so his mom, she fled her abusive home when she was 17 years old, and soon she became a teenage mom, and he had an older brother, I think, I'm not sure. So in his 30s, she was already married to Jans Breivik, he, uh, and Andreas was born. During her pregnancy, his mom developed disdain for her son. She claimed that he was a nasty child, quote-unquote, and that he was, quote-unquote, kicking her on the purpose when he was in her belly. She wanted to actually abort him, but at the time when she returned to Norway from the UK, and she already kind of like, she was late. You can do an abortion for about three months, and then you cannot, and she has broke that time. Basically, she could not do an abortion anymore. And uh, the psychologist's report sta states that she thought that Breivik was a quote-unquote fundamentally nasty and evil child and determined to destroy her. Okay, um, She actually stopped breastfeeding her son pretty early because... <laughs> quote-unquote, because he was sucking the life out of her. I mean, it's not funny, but it is. Sorry, <laughs> it's fucked up. This podcast should be called Fucked Up Podcast. <laughs> Even after they divorced, she was living for some time in um, in the apartment. She lived in her ex-husband's apartment for a while, and the neighbors claimed that there were um, noises of fights, and that the mother left the children completely alone for extended periods of time. So her first child and Andreas because she was working as a nurse and she left them completely alone for 
when she was working her long shifts as a nurse. In 1981, Breivik's mother applied for welfare benefits, especially financial aid. Financial, financial aid. Oh my god! Uh, financial aid. Later, she applied for additional care for her son, and she said that she was overwhelmed with the boy. She was unable to carry, care for him. She described him to be quote-unquote clingy and demanding. He was a fucking child. He was a fucking child. And that's the reason I do not want to be a father one day. Okay, this episode is becoming dark really quickly. Um, Breivik was took from her and he was placed with a young couple. And the couple later told police that the mother, when bringing... She, they were like, he was not actually taken from her, but when she needed help raising him and she kind of didn't have time to care for him, she would drop him off for days to this young couple and they they would kind of split the responsibility for him so that couple later told the, to the police that when uh, his mom was bringing Breivik he asked that he uh, he to be allowed to touch the man's penis because he had no one to compare himself in terms of appearance he also said he only saw quote-unquote girls pee holes so his childhood is already fucked up like completely. In February 1983, on the advice of her neighbors, Breivik's mother searched help from the National Center of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and the mother and Breiviks were outpatients, and they stayed there at daytime for about one month. The conclusion of the stay from the psychiatrists was that Breivik should be placed in the foster care system and had to be removed from his mother for him to develop himself normally. The justification for this was several observations. He was almost completely, like, empty of any emotional engagement. He didn't show joy. He didn't cry when he was hurt. He made no attempts to play with other children. He was also extremely clean. They believe that that has to do with the way his his mother kind of beat him when he was he would uh, as a baby and as a child he would kind of like pin his bed poop his pants like all children do that and she would probably beat him and harass him when he was doing that so he became overly clean and also all that neglecting i shouldn't say neglecting but kind of like harassing and torture he had as a child and that led him to become devoid of any visible emotions. His mother also claimed that he was unclean and that she constantly had to care for him and run after him and he didn't show normal quote-unquote I read this on Wikipedia but the normal level of uncleanness for a four-year-old child like they are beasts and he was super clean. <laughs> So, during long phases of emotional voidness, he would rarely erupt and display extreme, uncontrolled emotions. So, he was kind of borderline... he was borderline bi bipolar. The report from 1983 stated that Andreas is a victim of his mother's projection of paranoid, aggressive and sexual fears towards men in general, and that she projects onto him with her own primitive, aggressive and sexual fantasies, and that 
All the qualities in men that she regards as a dangerous and aggressive, she basically projects onto him. So he is becoming subconsciously this person that she hates. So he reacted very negatively to his mother. He alternated between clingness, pity aggression and extreme childishness. Uh, the final conclusion of the observation was that the family is in dire need of help and that Andreas should be removed from the family and given a better standard of care and his mother was provoked by him and that he remains in a position that prevents him from developing on his own terms. Andreas has become an anxious, passive child that averts making contact. Me! <laughs> I'm like this. Why am I like all these psychopaths? I'm starting to worry. <laughs> no, but for real, I was like the quietest child ever. I didn't want any contact with anyone. And I still do not want any contact with anyone. I'm a social moth. Please leave me alone. <laughs> Anyhow, he was displaying a manic defense mechanism of restless activity and fainted deflecting smile. He also had this creepy smile all the time. And although all these things were said and done, the child welfare services did not follow this recommendation and instead he was placed in respite care only during the weekends. And the SSBU, I don't know what the fuck is SSBU, but they hoped that eventually he would be fully placed into foster care, but not. However. When Breivik's father, Jans Breivik, learned of the situation, he filed for custody. And although his mother had agreed to give him in like respute care, after Jans has filed for custody, she, she demanded for her child to be put back into full custody with her. She didn't want him to go with his father. And both the mother and father got lawyers, lawyers involved and they went to court. And then... Um, in the middle of their fight in court, like this, so uh, this child service uh, decided to jump in and try to put the child in foster care with all the evidence they had, but they eventually lost at the end because, and she, he was returned to his mother full time, and they lost because. Um, they were represented by a social worker that had no experience in representing a case in front of a committee and it was ruled that the family should be supervised. However, after only three visits, the supervision was discontinued and Breivik was never again put into respite care or foster care. So, again, we have a really nice representation of like the system. So, later, when he grew up, he attended uh, grammar school, semester grammar school, if I, if I copy-pasted that right. <laughs> Is it semester? I don't know. Uh, it's funny because semester in, um, in Serbian uh, means like right now. Do it right now. Do it semester. And um, former classmate from that school recalled that he was an intelligent student, physically stronger than others of the same age, who often took care of people who were bullied. So maybe he was a nice child, you know? No. Breivik lived with his mother and his six-year-older half-sister. It, it was not a brother, it was a sister. Sorry, I wrote this script like a week ago and I forgot everything. 
that's how much my memory lasts and I did this script for almost three hours and I forgot everything. <laughs> so he had a half-sister that was six years older and they were living in the west end of Oslo and regularly visited his father and stepmother in France until they divorced when he was 12. His mother also did remarry and she remarried to an officer in the Norwegian army and that's probably where he got his love towards the army because you'll see later um, I don't want to skip anything so Breivik chose when he was uh, 15 years old he chose to be confirmed into the Lutheran Church of Norway and he was described as a rebellious in his adolescence he was a graffiti artist, which he took very seriously, and he was several times caught by police. And on one occasion, when he was ar actually arrested and fined for doing graffiti, his father got so mad that he actually cut the relations with him and they never spoke again. On the other hand, his father claims that Andreas was the one who burned the bridges, basically, quote-unquote. However, they stopped communicating for good. And when he got out of his rebellious phase, he started going to the gym and taking steroid, steroids. So he's, he was pumping his muscles. And he cared a lot about his looks. Like, more than me. <laughs> he also had several plastic surgeries, like not Botox and fillers. He had actual plastic surgeries. He corrected his nose, his chin, his forehead. And people around him said that he was very pleased with the result. I could use a little Botox on my forehead lines, but okay. So, he tried to get into the army, because his stepfather was an army person, and there probably he got his interest in the army, so he tried to get into the army, but he was rejected, because he was deemed quote-unquote unfit for service. He had a too much Botox. So after the age of 21, Breivik was in the customer service department of an unnamed company. He was working with people from all countries, quote-unquote, and he was, quote-unquote, kind to everyone. A former co-worker described him as a, quote-unquote, exceptional colleague, while a close friend of his said that he usually had a big ego and that he would be easily irritated by those of Arab or a South Asian origin. So he hated Muslims, Arabs, and Asians. Classic Karen. Male Karen. Botoxified Karen. He and the company itself grew enormously, and he was earning a lot of money. He was actually making his first million, million kroner at 24, and kroner is the national valute if you say that, valiot, how do you say it? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the thing they use in, in Norway. As you use dollars, they use kroner. How do you say that? So he was making his first million kroner at 24. And I'm 27 and I'm broke as a joke. That's why I have Patreon. Oh my god, do you know what I realized? I never said <laughs> address. You have to go to find my Patreon at all. You'll have, you'll have it in the description of the episode, but basically it's patreon.com slash freakedoutpodcast. It's easy. It's like everywhere. Very soon, his success deflated and his firm declared, declared, declared bankruptcy and Andreas returned to his mother's home even he had $2 million left in his bank account. So in this period, when he returned to his mother's house, his mental health literally like deflated and... 
he went into a state of withdrawal and isolation because he fuck, fucking hated his mom and she was fucking toxic for him like this is a not a bad not a good situation so in may 2009 he created like a farming company under the name Breivik Geofarm. That company was described as a farming sole proprietorship set up to cultivate vegetables, melons, roots and tubers. In 2010 he visited Prague and tried to buy illegal uh, weapons, but he failed. So he decided to get weapons legally in Norway instead. Have you been to Prague? I've been to Prague and it's it was amazing but kind of like not it was raining when i w went and i i uh, was left with a really depressing image of that city <laughs> but it's amazing town amazing ar architecture i went i visited uh, in 2016 i believe or it was the 17 no it was the end of 16 definitely i don't know maybe so anyhow he bought one semi-automatic 9mm glock 34 pistol legally by demonstrating his membership membership in a pistol club in the police application for a gun license and the semi-automatic Roger R Ruger mini 14 rifle by possessing a hunt hunting license so he had he bought two guns and Breivik's manifesto do, do we remember the manifesto his manifesto included writings detailing how he played video games such as world of Vi warcraft to relax and call of duty modern warfare 2 for training simulation. He also said later in court that he trained for shooting using a holographic device while playing Call of Duty. He used his company as a cover to legally obtain large amounts of artificial fertilizer and other chemicals of the manufacturing of our explosives. He once ordered like a three tons of explosives and three tons of fertilizers so people would not suspect of him. His farmer neighbor described him as a looking like a city dweller who wore expensive shirts and who knew nothing about ruler ways. <laughs> Breivik has also covered up the windows of his house so nobody could peek inside and also the owner of a local bar said that there was nothing unusual about Breivik and he was occasional customer at the bar. And this person actually worked as a profiler passengers body language at Oslo airport and they said that there was nothing unusual with Breivik like he was that much of a psychopath or a sociopath what is that probably a psychopath I'm almost out of my coffee and I'm at the middle of my story so let's fast forward 2011 around 2 p.m. he sends his manifesto to over 1003 email addresses of all important people in Norway and news. Like 1003, where the fuck did you get 1003 email addresses? And one hour and a half, so at 3.26 pm, an explosion rocked downtown Oslo, shattering windows and damaging buildings. The blast was centered a short distance from a building complex that housed numerous government offices, including those of Norwegian Prime Minister Jan Stoltenberg. Stoltenberg was unharmed in the explosion, but eight people were killed and dozens of them were injured. If he did this in any another time of the year, the death list would be much worse, because many Norwegians take their vacations at the end of the July, and this unofficial quote-unquote common holiday 
meant that many public offices in the area of the blast were empty on the afternoon of the attack. So about 5 p.m., roughly an hour and a half after the bomb detonated in Oslo, a man, we know who this man was, but a man dressed as a police officer took a ferry from the mainland to the island of Utea, I hope I said that right, stating that he was performing a security check in connections with the bombing, he gained access to a youth camp hosted by a Norwegian Labour Party. At 5.26pm, police began to receive reports of gunfire on the island. Armed with an automatic rifle and a pistol, Andreas spent the next hour methodologically targeting the roughly 600 young people at the camp. Many of the campers were teenagers. One survivor was just 10 years old, and his mon this monster even used his police disguise to lure some of his victims closer with the promise of rescue. He would kind of like call people to gather around him, like, I'm the police officer, like, gather around me, and then when pe people would gather around him, he would fire on them. He started shooting them. He first shot people on the island and later started shooting the people who were trying to escape by swimming across the lake. He shouted, quote-unquote, you are going to die today, Marxists. Survivors described how several victims wounded by Breivik pretended to be dead, but he came back and shot them again. He spared an 11-year-old boy who has lost his father during the shooting and stood up against him and said that he was too young to die. Oh my god. And he also spared a 22-year-old 22 22 man who begged for his life. Breivik called the 112 emergency phone number at least twice to surrender, at 6pm and 6.26pm, and he continued to kill people in between those calls. The police say Breivik hung up both times, they tried to call him back, but did not succeed. The police was late, because this happened on an island, and they, they didn't have enough transport helicopters. By the time police arrived on the island at 6.25pm, an hour and a half later after the shooting started, at least 68 people had been killed. When the police arrived at the scene, they were met by survivors begging the officers to throw away their weapons, and they were literally afraid that the men in uniforms would open fire on them, as the Andreas did because he had like his uniform, his fake uniform and his fake ID. Breivik uh, surrendered to the police actually, and he even had ammunition left, and the combined death toll of the bombing and shooting approached 80, making the attacks the deadliest in the country since the Second World War. 69 people were killed, 517 survivors, 66 were wounded. And the police fucked up again, obviously, because why not? And they also arrested a 17-year-old child, basically. They stripped him down naked, and locked him in a cell next to Andreas, and the reason was, he was not acting like others, he was not hysterical enough, and he looked different than in his documents. Yeah, no shit, do you wanna see my photo in my documents? I look like a fat Hitler, because the, like, a shadow of my nose created the Hitler um, mustache, and I'm fat. <laughs> so basically, they held him 
locked up naked for 17 hours and they didn't even contact his family and his family be believed he was dead. Good job. Good job, police. Thanks, police. Following his arrest, Breivik went uh, into examination by court and he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and concluded that he had been psychotic all the time of the attacks and was criminally insane. According to his defense attorney, Breivik initially expressed surprise and felt insulted by the conclusions in the report. He later stated that this provides new opportunities, quote-unquote. And following the criticism of the psychiatric report, the court in January 20, uh, 2012 approved the conduct of a second psychiatric examination, and the report from this examination declared, declared Breivik to be sane in April 2012. Ultimately, the verdict and ruling of the district court five-judge panel agreed that Breivik was sane, so they didn't want to trial him as a insane person and give him basically a lesser sentence, so they declined that. Also, they looked at his quote-unquote manifesto, a, a bullshit paper, and found that he stole a lot of texts from Unabomber, and besides him, he stole from a lot of other people. He basically copy-pasted other people's texts into his document and presented them as his. He also described everything, his life, his complete life, where, he, where we know the whole story, his preparations for the attacks, like everything. The inductory chapter of the manifesto asserts that political correctness is responsible for a social rot. He blames the Frankfurt School for the promulgation of political correctness, which he identifies with cultural Marxism. Parts of these sections are plagiarized from political correctness, a short history of an ideology bar by Paul Virchsfrieko. Why did I even copy-paste this? No one cares where he got his text. He stole from a lot of people, took parts of the of their works out of the context and copy-pasted basically into his bullshit manifesto, quote-unquote, he later sent to everyone before he went and sh shot 600 people. So he basically copied sections of a Unabomber, as I said, without giving credit, and he replaced all, all the words leftists with cultural Marxist and black people with Muslims, so he kind of like edited it in his way. He didn't, he liked black people, but he hated Muslims. Fuck you! He also blames feminism for allowing the erosion of the fabric of European society and advocates a restoration of patriarchy, which he claims would save European culture. Sure, sir, sure. He also expressed admiration of the Russian Prime Minister Vladimir Putin, who is now a president of Russia, and said that he was, quote-unquote, a fair and resolute leader worthy of respect, though he was, quote-unquote, unsure at this point, point whether he has the potential to be our best friend or our worst enemy. And Putin's spokesman Dmitry Pesko has denounced Breivik's actions as a, quote-unquote, delirium of a madman. <laughs> On April 17, 2012, when asked by a lawyer, Siv Helgren, if he is religious, Breivik answered, yes, yes I am, and he was then asked if he believes in the Christian faith, which he, which he answered, mm, yes. <laughs> Sick bastard. 
Later, during, during the same conversation, he states that he is Christian and that he believes in God, but he is a bit religious, but not especially religious. At the same time, Breivik said both during his trial and his manifesto to have been inspired by jihadist groups such as Al-Qaeda and stated his willingness to work with groups like Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, how this pronounced even, and in order to conduct attacks with weapons of mass destruction against Western targets. So, in August 20, uh, 2012, the court ruled that Breivik was sane at the time of the attacks, and that and he received the maximum sentence of 21 years in prison. 20, 20, 21 years in prison for killing 60 people? And that was the maximum? What? But I also said that if the at the end of the time Breivik were to continue to constitute a danger to society, additional five-year terms could be added. So 26 years for 60 people. Great. On November uh, 20th, 2012, the Polish authorities announced the arrest of a 45-year-old man who was preparing a similar attack. According to the authorities, Br uh, Brunon Kuisian, I don't know how to pronounce his name, I, I don't want to, uh, he was an admirer of Breivik and was further inspired by the Oklahoma City bombing. Brenton Harrison Tarrant, uh, the perpetrator of two consecutive mass shootings at the mosques at New Zealand, said that he was also inspired by Breivik and claimed to have been in brief contact with him, as well as a meeting with his organization, the Knight Templar. The Knights Templar. The shootings took place at Al Noor Mosque and Linwood Islamic Center in, in New Zealand during Friday pra prayer on, on March 15, 2019, killing 51 people and injuring 49 more. Sorry, I'm speaking too fast, I just want to get this over with. I'm angry at this person, <laughs> you know? So, Breivik has been enrolled since 2015 in the Bachelor Degree Program in Political Science at the University of Oslo. He passed two courses, he does not have internet access, and in 2015 he claimed in a letter that harsh prison conditions has forced him to drop out of the course. According to a 2016 statement by his lawyer, Breivik, Breivik had became a Nazi in prison. Well, that's so fantastic for you. I'm, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> fuck, fuck you. In September 2020, an application for Breivik's parole was made by his attorney, and as of July 2021, so he has been in prison for 10 years by this point, and he has the right to have the court system reviewed his petition for parole. He also they state that he fears for his life, he claims that the director of prison wants to kill him, and his mother visited him only four times before she passed away. And, you know, rot in prison, you deserve everything. And basically, that was the story. The traumatizing story about the Norwegian terroristic attacks, or a Uteya, Uteya, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, it's the O crossed O, like the Norwegian special symbol, symbol. it's called Utoya, but 
they pronounce it as Uteya as I googled. So the Uteya massacre. I have no words left to say. I'm shocked and disgusted by this story. And I briefly remember when this happened and we were all like, God help us all. So we came to an end of this episode. If you want, you can follow the podcast profile on Instagram at Freaked Freaked Out Podcast, Twitter account at Freaked Podcast, or follow me anywhere at Fabian Adams, but instead of B, it's a six. So, Faye six A and Adams. And also, you can, if you want, I want to remind you that you can support our podcast on Patreon if you go to patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Stay safe and I love you and I cannot express how much I'm thankful for you. Bye!